Good morning. All right. So uh, don't uh, don't put on this PowerPoint yet. Just just wait. Let's pray. And so, Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be here this morning to look into your word. Your word brings blessing, hope, encouragement, and strength. I thank you for saving us and making us your children. That gives us tremendous hope. I pray that your spirit will minister to us where we are at. We are different. And so we have different needs, but you can speak to every one of us where we are at. So Lord, I pray that you will do that. For those that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they will be born again today. And for those that know the Lord, that they will find strength to live life that brings glory to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have a few questions for you this morning. I don't think there's a wrong answer to this question. What battle do you think was the toughest or the hardest battle in the Old Testament? Keeping God's commandment. Okay, so now I'm talking about war, physical war. So, yeah, that's a one. Keeping God's commandment was a big struggle. I don't disagree. It was. There's no wrong or right answer because it's what you think. And the answer I will give you will be what I think. So, so don't feel, oh, he has something. So, so what battle do you think was the hardest and the most difficult? The what? The siege of Jerusalem. Okay. That's an answer. Mine will also be an answer. So <laughs> that's all it will be. Yeah. All right. So any other option? Gideon's first battle. Okay, Gideon's first battle. All right, so I'm sure there are many diverse answers, but I'm going to suggest mine so that you can think about it. I think that conquering Canaan, specifically Jericho, for example, would have been the toughest battle. And I'll tell you why with almost a million people in the wilderness to go into some other people's territory, overcome them, and occupy it with no other place to go. That's a tough battle. So <clears throat> I want you to keep that in mind. And then another question I want to ask, Jericho, how tall was the wall of Jericho, and how wide.
you probably haven't thought about it. I haven't. I was reading my kids' Bible. That's how I got to know I wouldn't have. So, yeah. All right. It seemed pretty high. <laughs> it was pretty high. It was about uh, 25 feet tall, the wall of Jericho. That's pretty high, isn't it? But what got, what seemed more impressive to me is that it was 30, 20 feet wide. 25 feet tall, 20 feet wide. <laughs> uh, thick, yeah, yeah, thick, yeah. You, you get what I'm saying? The thickness of the wall. <laughs> so you got the idea, the thickness of the wall. So now, so we enter into a study this morning, and I've titled this message, Two Courageous Men Versus Ten Others. So, uh, <clears throat> so now, because I, I want us to understand when we think of these ten others, they were not... Their reasoning and their thoughts were very rational and make sense. The two courageous men had to think outside the box. So, two courageous men versus ten others. I was told that when I press this, it will work. Now, I'm not very good with making pictures, so I handed it over to the modern day people to, I just type words and then they just snazz it up, add things. So if, you, if, there, if there are pictures that you like or things that you like, give them praise. And if there are ones that you don't like, condemn them, not me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Numbers chapter 13, verse 14. You will do well to read this passage and study it. I believe I've read this passage over many, many times. You know, at work, every time I have opportunity, I read them, and I read them just so that I can find some sort of encouragement. So, two courageous men versus the 10 others, or the 10 other leaders. Uh, I think I put two courageous men versus the 10 other leaders, one, but the editors didn't put the one. That means first time there will be a second one. Numbers 13, 14. So the background to this story in Numbers 13, 14, we will read, you know, we will read as we share. That's how we'll read it. We, I won't read through it as a whole because it's a long passage, but we'll read some verses as we share. The background is that uh, the Israelites, all their family, all their children, all their cattle, all their, everything they owned, God, by his mighty hand, had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And so they had been in the wilderness for a while. They had everything, so they had departed and they were there. And they were on the edge of the promised land. So in Numbers chapter 12, verse 16, we read that then they left Hezaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So so they were camping in that wilderness on the edge of Canaan, the land that had been promised. Uh, you need to know that on one occasion in, uh, in uh, Genesis, Lot was fighting, or Lot's headsmen were having a 
struggles with Abraham's headsmen. So Abraham told Lot, we don't need to fight, we are brethren. You pick wherever you want to go and wherever else is left, I will take. So Lot chose the plains of Sodom because it seemed like the right place to go. It seemed like the lush place, the right place to go. And after he had done that, God spoke to Abraham. He said, look east, look west, look north, everywhere. Every place that you can see, I will give it to you. So a promise was made. And when you read through the scriptures, you find out that, uh, so that was a promise to Abraham. At least 17 times God had promised to give the Israelites the promised land. By the time they reached this stage, God had made a promise. And so the only thing they had to hang on to was the promise of God. So they were on the edge of the promised land, and God gave specific instructions to Moses. So Numbers 13, 1 to 2, the Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. The land I am giving. Notice the word, it says, I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. And notice, he was sending, oops, come on, it's too soon. Oh. Okay, send one leader from each of the tribes. So the, when Moses was going to send them to the promised land, he just wanted them to explore because that's what God asked him to do. So that was the territory that God had promised to give them. And so that's the promise. That's the only thing they had. So because God promised it, God was going to guarantee it. And that's what we need to know. If God makes a promise, he's the one that will guarantee the fulfillment of that promise. And so in my mind... That was the best deal. That's why when I read a verse that says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can take them out of my hand. I know God has made the promise, he's going to keep it. So I can rest, because he's the ultimate promise keeper. So, so Moses did as God commanded him. He sent out 12 men. Emphasis again, all tribal leaders of Israel. So the best of the best. For every tribe, they looked around and then said, who is the best man for the job? So they picked the best man and sent along. So these were the best guys. So from the camp, these were the tribal leaders. Those are the guys. Their names are there. Shammah, son of Zuchot. Shaphat, son of Horai. Caleb, you know, a son of Jephunai. Egal, son of Joseph. Hosea, son of Nun. Palti, son of Raphu. And Gadi, son of Sodi. So, um, another Gadi, son of Suji, Amil. We don't hear about them, you know, because they are the ten others. We hear about this guy and that guy. So, but they were all tribal leaders. They were the best that they had in their town. The best that they had among 
all the people. And those were the ones that were sent out. So they were sent on an assignment. And let's read in Numbers 13, 17 to 20. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go not through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crop you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So, what was the assignment? See what the land is like. Explore the land. Find out whether the people are strong or weak, at least in your own estimation. So, do their towns have walls? They must have, because Jericho had a wall that is 25 feet tall and what? 20 feet thick, thick, not white, thick. Yeah, 20 feet thick. So they must have. So is the soil fertile? It must have been a fertile soil, fertile land. After all, it's the land of promise. Are there many trees? Bring back samples of fruit. That was the, that was the assignment that God gave. Not included in the assignment was advising Moses or, or Israel whether to invade the land. That's not part of the assignment. God didn't ask, okay, Moses didn't say, when you go back, bring back a report and come and tell me us whether we should go forth. They were stuck in the wilderness and they were going to a certain destination that God had promised. So that wasn't part of the assignment. And not included in the assignment was for them to compare the Israelites against the people of the land. That wasn't what God asked, Moses asked them to do. It was very specific, very straightforward. So what did they do? I like PowerPoint because we can move fast and I can finish on time, which is good. I'm sure you like it too. <laughs> so report from the trip. The main report, <laughs> Numbers 13, 27 to 29. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan River. So bountiful country, a great country, flowing with milk and honey. The people are powerful. That was true. Flowing with milk and honey was true. Their towns are large and fortified. That was true. We saw giants descended of Anak, Amalekite, Hittite, Jebusite, Amorite, and Canaanite. That was true. That's what they saw. And they reported what they saw. If they had ended there, that would be nice. But they didn't. So let's see what happened. 
So, but Caleb, once they've given the main report, I don't know who the spokesperson was, tried to quiet the people. I'm assuming that when the report was given, the tone was, hmm. We saw a giant. The walls are fortified. And, you know, it was maybe the tone was such that anxiety was rising. Right? So Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men, the ten men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explore will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge, or giants if you like. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So, this was the advice. The inhabitants are far stronger than we are. We certainly can't go against them. We will lose. The land devours anyone who goes to live there. Inhabitants are giants. We are grasshoppers. So, I was thinking the picture will come out better than this. They raised the white flag. Man, it's time to go back to Egypt. It was a good experiment to leave Egypt. Based on what we've seen, it's time to go back. That was their advice. And you know, that wasn't what they were asked to do. They've done their job by the main report, but now they're offering advice. And their advice says, we can't go against them. The land devours anyone who goes to live there. And you know, when I was thinking about this, this, especially this verse here, it struck me that the ten leaders were actually saying that what God had promised was not a great promise. If the land devours anybody that goes in there, and that was the land that the Lord promised, it sounds like the Lord was sending them to a place that will devour all of them. So they say, well, we can't. Inhabitants are bigger than us, giants, so let's go back. How did the people respond? So I've titled that, the 10 leaders' advice is be afraid. Live by sight. This is what we saw. We can't go in. Let's turn back. So how did the people react to the leaders? Well, let's read. Then all the community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complain. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunders. 
Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted against among themselves, let's choose a new, a new leader and go back to Egypt. And friends, I read this and I say, they haven't even engaged in a battle. They haven't even stepped into the land. But because of the report of those that saw the land, everyone's heart is melting and they are crying all night and weeping aloud. The land was guaranteed by the best guarantor that we have, God himself. Go to the land I promise to give the children of Israel. But because of the report of the ten leaders, these guys were weeping all night, complaining all night, anxiety, rebellion. And that's all that was. And they said, why is he taking us to battle? Only for us to die. You're not yet in battle. Oh, our wives and our children will be taken as plunders. And so let's go back to Egypt. They forgot all that happened in Egypt. So what happened? But Caleb tried to quiet the people. That was what he did before. Let's go at once and take the land. But when this happened, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces on the ground. And then two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. Notice what they had to say in terms of their report. The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. Notice the emphasis is on the Lord. He will bring us safely and give us the land. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So you can see, you know, that was what they said. And you know what? I didn't put the verse here. As soon as they said that, what do you think the people did? They took off stones and they wanted to kill them. That was when God showed up in his glory. But I didn't put the verse there. So let's see. Caleb and Joshua's advice, be courageous, live by faith. Let's go quickly. We can certainly conquer the land. God will bring us to the land. God will give us the land. Don't rebel against God. God is with us. Don't be afraid. That's a message that I want to bring to all of us this day. As we think of the future, as we think of the challenges that lies ahead, ensure that you don't think outside of God. Make sure that God is in the picture. So Caleb and Joshua's proposal, stop looking at things. Start looking at God. Yes, they are giants. Yes, they are fortified walls. Yes, all of those things exist. 
but God is with us. And so if God is with us and for us, we can face the battles that lie ahead tomorrow and the challenges that lie ahead. So stop looking at things. Uh, I, I find it frustrating when Christians spend so much time on the news as it is right now and getting bombarded with all kinds of fearful things and their hearts are melting and they've forgotten that they're children of God. That God will take care of them going forward. No doubt there's so much happening, but it doesn't matter. To the child of God, God is for us, is with us. So be courageous and stop looking at things. Start looking at God. So, the 10 versus Joshua and Caleb. So, when the 10 went there, they saw seasoned armies poised for victory. What did Joshua and Caleb saw? Inferior army ready to retreat. They look at the same object. And they tend to analyze fortified cities. They did all the statistics, all the analysis, all the odds that against them and came to a logical conclusion. Well, Joshua and Caleb were spying their future homes. They tend to saw Amalek and then they quake. <laughs> These guys already saw vanquished foes and you know, the tents of permanent residents while these ones saw squatters on their property. What made the difference? Sight. Faith. The ten believed their eyes. The other ones believed their ears. God had made a promise. And that's all they had to hang on to and cling to. So, Caleb and Joshua believed their ears God's promise. I've already said this 17 times, God promised them the land. You see, sadly, there was so much fear that shipwrecked the faith of 10 of Israel's tribal leaders. Their language was, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. But faith in God propelled Caleb and Joshua to the promised land. And their language was, don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. My prayer this morning is that as we live as Christians, as believers, that this will be our portion. That we will see life through the lens of God that God is with us, and that God is for us. So what's your canon? I know, I know, you know, I'm supposed to not uh, talk about canon. It was a specific event. But we don't all have challenges. We all have things that seem like brick walls standing in front of us that we are afraid of. We all have all these things lying there. So what's yours? Or which giant makes you feel like a grasshopper? Or what do you think your future holds when you measure it on your facts? You have all the facts, all the statistics, all the numbers, everything that is against you. What do you think it holds? We all have that. My message to you this morning is that be courageous. Lean on the everlasting arms. Allow God to bless you. 
So see God's presence in the actual or anticipated challenges. I don't know what they are. Perceive God's power even when all the odds seem against you. Like the psalmist of old says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evil dwells come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fell. If an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. If war arises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. Confident in the Lord. Not confident in his own strength, but in the Lord. That's where our confidence should lie, in the Lord. The Lord will take care of me. The Lord will look after me. The Lord will be my portion. The Lord will help me. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know the struggles that lie ahead, but I know that the Lord is with me. And that's all that those guys had to go with. So, see God's presence in your challenges. I've said that before, and I'm repeating it. Perceive God's power and focus on God's plan. Like Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. We live in challenging times. And in these times, we can choose how we live, either by sight or by faith. The believer is supposed to live differently. There's so much fear right now that everybody is on tiptoe. I don't think we should be afraid or fearful. Because the Lord is with us and the Lord is for us. And we are feeding our minds with so much fearful information, so much analysis, so much statistics. I wish we spend more time feeding our minds with the promises of God and the word of God. Because believers are not supposed to live on explanations but on God's promises. That should be our diet. What has he promised to do for us? How has he promised to keep us? The Lord Jesus, or in Hebrews, he says, let your conduct be without covetousness, for he himself has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my help. I will not fear. And so, friends, I want to encourage you to take your eyes off the challenges, the circumstances, or the big things and the giants, and focus your attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I was reading my Bible this morning, NLT. It says, the champion of our faith. So I just feel that, you know, we live in times that we need courage to walk with the Lord, to know that the Lord is for us and is with us. A story. I don't know anything about football. In fact, I've never watched one. <laughs> my brother, when he first, my younger brother, when he first came to Canada, you know, he wanted to play football at St. Mary's. So, um, I had no interest in football because the only football I knew, they decided to call it soccer. 
So, but there was a young man who was a goofer. He was uh, one of these guys that was recruited to play in one of the teams. And so he wasn't a very serious uh, player. When the others would be practicing, going 15, uh, 50 laps around, he would be going five. When the others would be practicing and doing all of those, he would just seem very much laid back, not very interested. So one day, during practice, because this story is slightly old, I will use the old analogy and then I will use the modern there. A telegram arrived. How many of you know what telegram is? <laughs> All right. A message arrived for the young man, and the coach received the message. So when the coach received the message, he said, young man, you have a message. They were practicing. Young man, you have a message. Take it. This guy was so lazy and so uninterested that he said, why don't you read it for me? You know, open and read it. Open the telegram and read. So the, the coach opened the, the letter and read. He said, young man, bad news. Your dad has died. I just got the message that your dad has passed away. I mean, the coach felt sorry for him for losing his dad. But the under, he said, you can take a week off. But in his mind, the coach was thinking he can take a month or a year off. It will make no difference. <laughs> so the young man went home. And uh, a week later, the next Friday, they were supposed to have their homecoming, the best game, you know, kind of a champion game was to go on. So he had taken the time off and then he was away. So he came back that day for the champion game. I mean, the coach must have sympathized with him. I hope that, you know, and all of that. But he really didn't want to see him when it comes to champion game. In champion games, you put stars. You don't put uh, goofers. So the young man said, I want to play. Coach, I want to play today. I want to play. Uh, the coach uh, did like this. Okay, let, let the stars play. You are not the stars, so we are not going to put you. So let the stars play. Well, the stars started playing, and at a halftime or so, they were getting beaten really, 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 really bad. Are you following? So, and they were, I think, there's, is there quarter time in, in, uh, in baseball? Or three-quarter time, there must be some breaks in between. Yeah, all of those times. So they were getting beaten seriously, and the coach was busy writing his resignation letter, <laughs> saying, we are losing champion game. I, I, all I'm seeing is that either I'm going to lose my job or I have to resign. So he was busy writing. So the young man said, I want to play. Coach, I want to play. And the, the coach said, well, after we are losing, it makes no difference to have you. <laughs> So we might as well get you in to probably play your last game. So he got in, and he was moving at the pace that hadn't happened before. It seemed like his mates connected, and everything started coming together. 
And so they started overcoming all the deficit. And almost at the last minute, I think you receive the ball and then you run and get the touchdown. The guy got the touchdown and won the game. The coach and the rest of the team could not believe. So after the game, the coach went to him and said, what came after, over you? What, what happened? What is this? Where is this you that we've been looking for all this while? And then he looked at the coach and said, my dad died a few days ago. He was a blind man. All these years, I've been waiting for my dad to watch my game. But now that he's died and gone to heaven, I know this is the first time he's watching me in action. And so I had to give it my best because my dad was in my corner. He was giving me the encouragement that I needed. You see, God is in your corner. And so you can have victory. He's watching after you. He's with you. He goes with you. That's why they said, the Lord is with us. So we can face life with confidence and not live like non-believers. It's a sad thing when believers live like non-believers. The future is bright because we know the Lord. And the Lord is in our corner. In Romans chapter 8, we are told that God is for us. And Hebrew chapter 13, verse 5 to 6, we are told that God is with us. And so we go out knowing that the one who made the earth, the one who owned all the battles, is with us and is for us. And so we can have victory, whether at work, at home, on the road, regardless of what the voices are saying. The believer is secured in the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll sing more than conquer. And so Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray you give us encouragement and strengthen us. We face so many challenges. Some of us are unemployed. We are thinking what will tomorrow hold? And there are so many issues in life that can derail us. I pray that you will grant us the grace to look to Jesus Christ. To trust you knowing fully well that we are in your hands and you can hold us through the stormy seas and through the stormy challenges in life. I pray for those that don't know your son as their savior, that they will surrender to him and make him the Lord of their lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.